Thirsty, thirsty, trying to choose. I mean, I know I'm pretty cool. My nitty bag, my kitty boots. I got the juice, I got the juice. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Box Podcast. Uh, this is season one, episode two. And uh, Tyler, how was your weekend? Well, Ryan, it was so uneventful. I can't even begin to describe it. I mean, I know I was with you probably 99% of it, so. Yep. We literally sat on this couch for the majority of it. I think the most eventful thing we did was that we had nice weather here in D.C., so we were able to take advantage of that. We walked ourselves down to the National Mall, found a nice patch of grass, socially distant from everyone else. We wore masks. We abided by all rules, regulations, suggestions, whatever they're called. All the above. And we sat there for, I don't know, four and a half hours, five hours, drank some beers, hung out, listened to some country music, enjoyed the weather. We're in between the monuments, the Capitol. It was a lovely day outside. Got our tan on a little bit. That was by far the best thing we've done in weekends while also simultaneously being one of the laziest weekends we've had probably all of quarantine. Yes, I agree. Like we didn't even go. We have to go to the grocery store this week because we didn't go this weekend. <laughs> but I mean, it was just nice to be outside in good weather, get the spring thing going on. We are hoping to play golf in the coming weeks, but that's so challenging because Maryland courses are not open. Southern Delaware is very hit or miss on courses, so it puts us in this weird spot where Virginia is open. Well, everyone from D.C. is trying to play Virginia. Everyone from Virginia is trying to play Virginia. Everyone from Maryland is trying to play Virginia. And depending on where you are in Delaware, it's quicker for you to drive to Virginia than it is to drive to northern Delaware to play. So it's really creating a clusterfuck for us in terms of getting a tee time. But we're excited to do that, get out there, swing the sticks. Probably going to play terribly because neither of us have swung a club seriously since last season. But it'll just be nice to get out there. We'll walk the course. We won't take a cart, so it'll be good. Stretch the legs. But it'll just be nice to get out and enjoy the weather for four, four and a half hours and just do something. Crush some beers. That's it. Like literally, <laughs> That's just what I'm looking forward to. Doing something is going to be... drinking somewhere not in our apartment. Incredible. Yeah. So I'm really excited for that. But besides that, I think we didn't really do shit this weekend. So yeah. I did, mean, I miss, did I miss anything? We watched Casino Royale. I've never seen it before. Yep. I've seen... James Bond movies here and there. Tyler's a big fan and has the, what is it, the 50th? 50th anniversary box set. Yeah, I'm a yeah. big James Bond guy. So we did watch Casino Royale this weekend because Ryan has been playing a lot of poker recently. I've been playing a lot of blackjack. So he said, let's watch a newer James Bond, Daniel Craig era. He never saw Casino Royale. Very easy decision for us. Good movie, long movie. It's like almost two and a half hours, I want to say, but good movie, interesting. Has quite a few twists and turns in it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I didn't see half things coming. But kind of exactly what you expect from a newer James Bond. A little dark, a little twisted, not so gadgety, such as like your Sean Connery era. But was a good movie, well done, well shot, well directed, all that kind of stuff. So we watched that, and I think that, yeah, we kind of just hung out besides that. A couple of Zoom calls. But everyone's doing that these days. Pretty standard weekend for most yeah. folks in quarantine at this point. Yeah. Checked in on the family, FaceTimed some people. Yeah. Basic stuff. So with that being said, let's transition on into 
city updates, which should become a recurring segment for us now. So I guess we'll start with the Philly update since we had all the Philly draft talk on the recent podcasts. Uh, again, when they draft someone you hate it the day of, you like it the next day, you love it the day after. I said I was in the process of loving it. I now am almost fully converted to just blindly buying into whatever the heck they're doing. So I've now convinced myself that we are just becoming a track team and that we are no longer drafting football players that are fast and instead we are drafting people that are very fast that happen to play football. And we are just (laughs) going to be faster than every single other team on the field and hope that we catch the same amount. We didn't catch a lot. We had a ton of drops last year. We led the league in drops. Carson had over 4,000 yards with no receiver over 500 yards. That was the first time that ever happened. That's just a shocking statistic. No one could create separation. So their answer to that was, well, shit, if we're dropping passes anyway, we might as well just blow people. wide open and drop. Yeah, we might as well just fucking blow people's doors off because then when we do catch a ball, it's going to be a touchdown. Instead of we're going to have no separation, we're just going to catch it for a 15-yard gain. We're just going to catch it and it's going to be worse. Is that going to make you more frustrated when they're wide open by 10 yards and just butterfinger it? Mid-intra-game, yes, for a shorter period of time. So I will not be able to immediately convince myself that there was a defender on him that may or may not have gotten his hand on the ball or disrupted the play, where that happened a lot last year. Obviously, being a Homer fan, you convince yourself that, but there obviously was still your blatant drops last year. This will make me very angry when we blatantly drop a ball when we're wide open, but then 10 minutes later when we're wide open and we catch it, and it's a touchdown. Cancels out. I will then be much more excited than I was last year when we caught the ball for a 10-yard gain in the first down. That's so fair. I think I'm all in on that trade-off again. We're just blindly going for it at this point. And I think that's really the only Philly update we have. I think that's going to be the first place we go after quarantine. Now we have a lot of stuff lined up, some potential interviews that are in the works. We don't want to give anything away just yet, but that'll probably be coming once this whole thing's lifted and we can travel and get moving, reunite with some folks. So that's kind of the Philly update onto the Chicago side. First teaser before I kick it over to you, Ryan, is that we did receive our Lou Malnati's. So we are going to be doing that review that'll be in the middle of the pod here. But besides that, Chicago land, are we still alive? Is it burning down? What's going on there? It's alive and well. Um, the Bears did a smart thing and didn't uh, extend Mitch for the fifth-year option. No fifth-year option was picked up. You're so, happy about this? I am happy about it. I hope it gives him some fire in his soul, if you will, and he uses quarantine and the rest of the summer to go boss the wall and prove prove the haters wrong. I mean... It wouldn't be the worst thing if he does well and outplays Foles, even though he signed Foles, it seems like, to become our new quarterback. But, I mean, if Mitch Mitch is going to prove it, then all the power to him. So I know Nagy said this is going to be a competition in camp. We have no de facto starter going in. They're going to work for it. Do you believe that, or do you think that? No. You think it's Foles' job, and you think this was just the proof? Based that off is? everything last year, and where we're going, where what people know now, I don't think it's a competition. It's Foles. I think it's Foles. So that's why I think I think Mitch knows that too, and he's going to be. I hope I'd like to think that he's doing all he can right now, especially after we didn't pick up his option 
for him to realize that shit, I need to get like my stuff together and not be just I don't I don't know. Okay. Figure it out. Spin zone. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna throw throw some spin in here. Okay. Do you think that because they didn't pick up his option and it is a de facto competition, if Mitch does play better in the preseason and becomes a starter, it is more of a prove it option? By any stretch of the imagination, do you think there could be the potential where they give the job to Mitch, they give him the first couple weeks, and they say, prove to us that you deserve a long-term contract, outplay Foles, and then if not, and we put Nick in, that is the end of your time as a Bear? Or do you think it is your time as a Bear is already over, you will be our backup this season, and then we will let you go pursue a starting job somewhere else? I think the first one. I think if he goes, comes in, and the cop... I know I don't think it's a competition, but I think he's going to make it into a competition because I think he's going to surprise the coaches himself and go into the option where he is a starter, potentially, and then by the end of the season... It's a conversation of, do we want to put a franchise tag on him and then re-negotiate from there? Yeah. How excited <clears throat> would you be as a Bears fan if all reports are that Mitch is working his ass off, really grinding, comes in, looks better in camp than he ever has before, and Foles still just outplays the shit out of him? Would that just give you unreal confidence? It would. I, I <laughs> it would. That, I, I mean, it'd, be, it's, it'd make it look like Foles was the smartest pick ever. Now. How likely is that to happen? I don't know. Because last summer, uh, Mitch supposedly was looking really good too. And then first game of the season, we scored three points. So, Yeah, that's not what you want to see yeah. when you start a season. Okay, well. But also, Foles hasn't been doing too well since he left the Eagles. So. Yeah, he has a thing for Philly. You know, they asked him on an interview recently what is his favorite place to play in the NFL and his answer was there's nothing like a night game at the link which I tend to agree with him that is one of the most unreal atmospheres in sports um, especially if you are a Philadelphia player yeah, and I was gonna say. do not think we are a bunch of scumbags obviously if you're not a Philadelphia player you would <laughs> if you're a Philadelphia player and you do your job correctly yeah, yes great spot to be in <laughs> if you for fuck, sure if you mess up uh, it's not the best yeah I think that that's a very fair statement because uh, you will get booed off the field if that happens, and you deserve to get booed off the field if that happens. So, with Very that being list. said, I think the other part of Chicago land we have to talk about is the Hawks. Yes. NHL is obviously postponed right now, but the Hawks have made some front office movement moves. that I think, by all accounts, really came out of nowhere. I don't think anyone really saw this coming, but, yeah. Rye, I mean, you want to fill us in on what what's going on here? Yeah, so John McDonough... Uh, or GM. Out. Out. Or done uh, as some people might say. Clever. That was a play <laughs> on the last name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for a little background on him, he's been with the he's been in his position for the last thirteen years. Um, helped uh, turn around the Hawks from going thirty one forty two in two thousand seven to winning a cup in 2010, 2013, 2015. Um, obviously with the help of Taze and Kane being the third pick in the 2006 draft and the first pick 2007 not going to not going to hurt your chances of that but he saw that out and helped us get to there so he's done like we said um, I think this is surprising though I think that by all accounts you guys were in a very nebulous environment as a franchise when John McDonough came in 
and he really helped turn around the culture yes. of the franchise. I think that he, in some ways, was a polarizing figure. Right? Some people didn't love how strict he was about things, but I don't think there's any denying that he obviously turned the organization around. Oh, no. And I think it's just pretty interesting how out of the blue this occurred. Obviously, you guys haven't made the playoffs in the last couple of years, I think. Yeah. 2015, something like that. Maybe 2017 was the last time you won a series. I want to say maybe 2017 was the last time you made the playoffs. 2015, you won a series. Something in that ballpark. Yeah, but it's been a few right. years since you've seen playoff success, so I understand that. But I am less surprised if that was the driver and just more surprised that it was very sudden with the potential of the season still coming back for this to occur mentally in my mind that leads me to there was some sort of disagreement with yeah. the other front office who knows what the truth to that matter is i'm sure that will come out I'm sure folks know but it's it's a surprising move but i think to your point right he was a guy who turned you around he made yeah. some very smart draft choices he really built that core for you guys the taves the kane the sod the crawford the keith the seabrook all these folks the jalmerson studs. when he studs. was there right <laughs> Though, yeah, I mean, that nucleus of studs that you yeah. so led you guys to three cups, right? Yeah. And he was I mean, an integral part of creating that nucleus for for the Hawks. So I think it's going to be interesting where you guys go from here, right? And who yeah. who you guys won higher? And is there a direction of full rebuild? Is it someone that has the thought of, you know, we're going to look to move some of these older assets and get high return? Or is it someone that's, we want to do a partial rebuild and instead look to trade upcoming assets to try to give Keith, Taves, Kane one or two more chances at the cup, right? Yeah, I think it's going to be a partial rebuild because of that point. Um, yeah. It's, I think, it's I think crazy think thinking about this and knowing that Kays and Tane got drafted in 2006, 2007. Yeah, cause, they're not young anymore. Yeah, like, I mean, and that's just wild to think that, yeah, you're... Heroes, I guess you could say, age two. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It, it, is, it is definitely wild to think about. And I think, to your point, I think the Hawks owe it to them, right? They, yeah. they owe it to them to give them another kick at the can. And I have to imagine that when someone is being selected, that philosophy is what they're looking for, right? Which is, yeah. To give them another chance and then look to rebuild after that granted you guys have had some good drafts in the last couple of years and you have a couple of young studs coming up here mm-hmm. but you know is it worth those kids suffering through the rebuild versus giving Kane and Taves that last chance I think that's the inflection point that you're going to see which way do you land on yeah I, I agree with that and because of that I think the internal guys we got one of them's going to land the job so we got three Three, yeah, three guys internally that are candidates for the job. Um, Jay Bunk is our current EVP. He's he was Donna Donna's right hand man since 2008. So, granted, right after the drafts, he was right next to him the whole time during the turnaround. Um, so he might know a thing or two of picked up a thing or two from John and. Like you always do with people you learn from, you pick out the things you like and you move on and you discard the things you don't like so he's got both sides of that um another person is al mcisaac 19 years with the hawks organization um became vp of hockey ops in 2016 
before that, he was the assistant to the president, so basically is familiar with all the roles that would need, be needed. Um, and then lastly is Eddie Olchek, which, I mean, everybody in who knows hockey knows who Eddie Olchek is. Um, so he has the best pulse in the Hawks organization probably, as well as around the league. So if we can get him in there, that would be my pre- preferred option. I think I don't think that you guys will get Eddie. I, I don't think, think we will, but that would be like that's the dream come true. Okay, I think. that's interesting. I would. I think I land on the other side of that. I think that Eddie is not who I would want for you guys, just because he has distanced himself from the coaching aspect of the game. And I mean, obviously, he crushes it on television, right? He's an unreal analyst personality for the game and helping grow it. And I mm-hmm. think that. That is his realm. Yeah, like that's where he wants to be. That's fair. Granite, obviously there's less. I I don't know if this is, it's probably the same, but there might be less of a travel aspect of it. At least he will have a pseudo home base. But yeah, I... Instead of traveling with NBC, he travels with the Hawks. So. Right. So there's still obviously, you know, half the season you're on the road, but that it, it'll be interesting. I, I have to imagine again that there was some sort of internal discord causing this movement. So I think an internal person that, to your point, falls on the right side of those opinions is probably the person that has to be the leader in the clubhouse in terms of who is going to to take over. But I think that'll be interesting to see. And then, I guess branching off of that, NHL itself is eyeing a return June, July. Yeah, They're looking at, I believe five or six nucleus of stadiums that are pretty close together that they're going to be playing with no fans and try and get an abbreviated season and playoffs in most of the players How much more of an abbreviated season do you know or do you it's very up in the air i think okay from what i've from what i've read and what i've heard but i think that's interesting it sounds like most players are on board for that want the season to come back want to kick at the can obviously yeah the most outspoken person against that's been Drew Dowdy. But Drew Dowdy is an all-world player by all means. But he already has his cups. He has his Olympic gold medals with Canada. He's kind of been there, done it all. So I just I think that it's interesting over the last few years how polarizing he's been in the media with some comments, with some people on the ice. And I think that he is in the minority of players Granted, he has, again, has done so much that his voice is one that is loud and carries a lot with it. But I think that most of the players will be very excited for the season to continue. And I think that it really opens up the doors, right? Because teams that were hot, you know, we've had this long break. Are you hot again? Will it take someone a little time to get clicking? And the other thing is health, right? Health is so big in hockey. Everyone's playing with injuries at all times, as we know. Yeah. This couple month break can allow teams to really get healthy. Full strength and just people, I, team you thought sucked. Maybe they had lingering injuries. They didn't tell it, you, but. It makes those teams that were previously limping into the playoffs could now surprise someone in the first round, right? Yeah. Pittsburgh was not playing the best hockey at the end of the season. Maybe they figure it out. You look at a team like Philly, we were playing great. The boys were buzzing out there. But, you know, does that come back? Does that continue? Is Carter Hart still in this game? Does he have an adjustment period? Right? You, things like that yeah. you have to factor in. But then also 
the injury piece. We played the whole season without Nolan Patrick because he's had a migraine disorder. You get someone like that back who was a second overall pick a few years ago. That can be a game changer and can give your team that lift. Obviously, the Oscar Lindblom news coming through that he's finishing up his last round of cancer treatments, unreal. That has to make the boys all feel incredible to see him coming back, yeah, becoming that. healthy was, again. That was awesome. I mean, that's just such a feel-good story, right? Yeah. If nothing else, even if he's not on the ice, if he's done his treatment and can just be in the room with the guys without any fear, or whatever. like, if he's in the room with the guys before the game, and then obviously he's just a healthy scratch in the box, but the guys who just see him around every day and see him persevere through something like that, not let it stop him, like, that's the kind of stuff that can really turn the tide for a team and make it so much more of a family and make it for something so much bigger than just yourself. Yeah. So that kind of stuff, I mean, they're like the unknowns that with this unprecedented break, you have to see how, how that kind of factors in. Yeah. You got to think too, back to your point earlier, that most of the players want to play is like, I don't know how you wouldn't want to play. Because like, it's different in the pros than college. We look at all these spring athletes that got their season just taken away halfway through. Like, you, this truly shows that you never know when your last game's gonna be. No. So this, I don't know. If I was a player, this would just make me appreciate having the ability to play your favorite sport and make money. And you only if you get want to so, do that again. You only get so many kicks at the can, right? Exactly. You only get so many chances. You look at someone like G. Right in 2010, we got there and we lost to you guys, and we were positive. We had a couple fin- conference final appearances there, but then we had this period through the prime of his career where we weren't super successful. We were in and out of the playoffs. We had missed the playoffs a couple years in a row. We wouldn't get out of the first round, and you know a guy like that, like he relishes this opportunity to try and get that back out there. G. Voracek, JVR, all these Flyers players that you know kind of came up with. To your point, Taves, Kane, Keith, those like yeah. mid-2000s drafts where this is, they're getting up there, right? They uh, Sure, they might have five, six years left, but that's five, six quick fucking years, especially if you miss the playoffs, one of those. you got to imagine all of them are chomping at the bit to try and get out there as soon as possible and give themselves a chance to win that cup. Because yeah. I can tell you, they're going to say it's weird playing in, in the Stanley Cup final in front of no fans, but I can also tell you they don't give a shit if they're holding the cup up above yeah, their head at the yeah. end of that, right? Yeah. Fans or no fans. I mean, no they fans. block out the fans in general. Like, even if they're even if it's, a, if it's sold out, you got to block out the fans to play at your peak. Yeah. I so, mean, you take the energy from the crowd of the home game, but your whole thing on the road is blocking those fans out and making them as quiet as possible. Yeah. Right? So, I think I agree. that You think they, they'll play, like, fan noises over the speakers? I don't think so. I think it's just going to be a weird-ass... Dead silent. Scrimmage type and environment. I think, and I think to that point, I think that that is why they have to abbreviate the regular season because I think, yes, you will be able to block that out, but it will take a couple games for you to just get adjusted to Almost that. like a training camp kind of thing. Yeah, theoretically, where, sure, a couple teams, that's going to decide if they get in or don't get into the playoffs as to how they handle those first two games, but it's a lot different having that happen in a regular season atmosphere than happening at the beginning of a playoff series that can take a team right out of the playoffs if they don't adjust that till game four you think whoever if they do follow this there is playoffs there is like Stanley cup the winner should that be should it be a little uh ash not an asterisk because they didn't do anything wrong but like a little cliff note next to it saying this season whatever i don't think so i think that i agree I think they're so far into the year now. If 
this happened before the all-star break i think yeah then maybe there's a case right where you want to shut it down but they were so close to the end of the season anyway you're giving up a few regular season games and if they can play a full playoffs do because they're sacrificing a few regular season games I don't see any reason why that would happen. Yeah. And I'm sure every person, whoever is on the team that wins the Stanley Cup. Oh, yeah, Cup, yeah. You're not going to actually care, but, like, the you know, lockout years, when you started late, there's a thing. This was a lockout year. Sure. But. No, I think I think they've played enough that there's going to be no, this was a pandemic-shortened season or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, makes I sense. I think they'll just run it. So, that is. Other winter sport, NBA. When are they starting up? That's interesting. So, I. Again, I think the NHL will play. I think the NBA will not play. I think that they are having a big players league discrepancy right now, agreeing to what they would like to do. So I think that's a big holdup. I don't know if that will get resolved. I think, again, I I just think they won't play. I think that they have the guaranteed money, and I think that they have a lot of chips and bargaining power. But because I say that again, I'm probably wrong, and they're probably going to start before... The NHL does, but I think they won't play, but I do hear if they do play, they were eyeing Disney World as a potential spot to play. Interesting. The wide world, Disney's wide world of sports. Yeah. I can't speak right now. Sorry. So I, yeah, I, I'm out on the NBA. I think that their season is effectively over, but. Other, I, yeah. Other sport that I don't want to say got canceled because or it did get canceled but it wasn't like they actually started the regular season first is MLB so from what I've seen and read is that with all the rumors of everyone's going to go to Arizona or they're going to just break it it down into the geographical region so you got the east the middle central America or North America United States sorry (laughs) And the West Coast. Yep. Um, those, Arizona's coming less likely. And apparently the three regions is almost getting dismissed at this point. Really? And what they want to do is <clears throat> play as many home games as possible at stadiums with the start of late June, late June, early July. And just no fans at? Yeah. That's interesting. And then to get... Um, so I heard that as well. I heard that they're planning to, to your point, home game, no fans, introduce fans as possible. And for the farm system base of the MLB, they're looking to an abbreviated farm system, not have single A, double A, triple A, more of a combined, every team might have two games scheduled per day and you just field two rosters of your choosing Arizona. in Arizona. Yeah, yes. so I thought too. So, Which would be pretty cool for those single A guys to be able to I think it definitely it gives kids an opportunity, right? Yeah. If someone is in a lower a lower developmental league here, and you're playing in like Beloit, Wisconsin, and you need to play with people who were and you get pull up three times last year. You get hot in the whatever lower of your two teams, and then they pull you up to the first team. You can make jumps, leaps, and bounds. The pitcher has a couple good outings, and they put them in that de facto better of your two rosters for the day and he's pitching well i think this definitely opens the door for kids to shine where potentially they might have one person above them in the grand scheme of the farm system that the team wants that guy to be their guy and this might open the door for people to raise raise some eyebrows so i think it's interesting i think that 
it's definitely going to be different and I'm excited to see how it changes the the development of baseball overall. Yeah, also in that cuz to try to get back in the games, they want to add more double headers. So, they just go back to kind of all these kids or they're not kids anymore, but all these players growing up playing on travel teams whatnot, doing tournaments, you're playing 3-4 games a day. Yeah. type of vibe and just for the love of the game. That's it. I mean, like I remember it. I'm sure you remember it growing up as a kid, going to your travel baseball tournament on the weekend, and that's what you would do. You would play Saturday, you'd play two, three games with the team, eat pizza between games, and then Sunday come back, play in your quarterfinal, semifinal, whatever it is. Until and you then win. you drive home and go back to school on Monday, right? Yeah. And that's and that's how it was, and I think a lot of ki- people will enjoy that aspect of the game again, especially if they can cut down on the travel. I think it's going to take a lot of rework in the schedule to cut down. But if they can focus folks in regions where you're out in California, if you're the Phillies for a two-week period, but you're out there and you're playing every California team two series through. Kind of like they do in the NHL where they try to make it. Yeah, to cut down on the travel days. Exactly. If they can do that, then I think – that holds a lot of water being able to play those double headers and cut the travel out after it and allow teams to get as many games. I don't think they're going to get 162. Yeah, in, I don't know how many they're trying to get in, but they're I also think 120 might be doable. Yeah, I don't know how many. Yeah, I don't know how many they're trying to get in, but they want to pick up whatever date they start. They want to like pick up on the schedule that day. Yeah. So I don't know what they do with obviously the double headers. They would just if it's a division opponent they can just do a double header when they play them but for like the one-off interleague plays maybe those are just gone or they add it to the end of the season yeah instead of being done in october you go into november yeah maybe they get next who knows but the other sport that i think we need to touch on here is the ncaa college Football football specifically and hoping that that starts we've been discussing that a lot because we have as I'm sure many folks at this time of year, you normally start to look into your plans for, are you going to make trips for the fall? Are you going to go to your alma mater's homecoming game? Is there a marquee game that you want to go to? Things like that. Obviously, all that's still up in the air right now, but I think what has been coming out has been positive that they're trying to play. Whether fans are there or not remains to be seen, but I think a lot of accounts from different schools and different regions, especially with the company trying country trying to reopen itself right now points towards they're trying to play the season and i'm sure the kids all want to play and i'm sure the amount of money they make off college football gives them every incentive in the world to play as many games as they possibly can exactly i mean that's every school's biggest money makers football at least for division one like hands down um i wonder if they don't do fans will they allow tailgating because really that's (laughs) That's that's one of the best parts. Yeah, I have to imagine there will be underground tailgates for those diehard fans. I'm in. But with that being said, we've read some articles over the top 25 potential way that they're shaking out tier system for the NCAA. So if we want to run through that, looking kind of top tier, I think that it's cut and dry from most of what we read here. It's your... Ohio State, Clemson are your front runners to yeah. be the two teams that 
should be playing each other at the end of the season. They've been powerhouses now for years. Dabo obviously turning Clemson around. Ohio State going through their coaching changes, but still, still like they're recruiting yeah. studs after studs, having um, everyone get drafted. Then that's kind of your front runners. After that, again, our teams you expect your Bama, your Georgia, your Oklahoma. Following them, you get these teams that have fantastic seasons, but they also might have a season where you know they suffer a couple losses. And it might be based on the conference, right? They might be playing two or three of those teams that are above them. And yeah. we all know in college football, one or two losses, that's that's all it takes to get you out of the conversation for a national title. Yeah. But by all means, there's still teams that if they win one of those, one or two of those games, they're, other way. they're a top tier. Yeah, yeah. And that's I feel your like L- Bama's almost in that top tier too. They're borderline. But. Sure. I mean, and then you get your LSU, your Oregon's, your Penn State, Florida, Auburn. They're those teams, right? Those teams can win those games early in the season and solidify themselves as national champion contenders or those teams can really fuck someone else up at the end of the season, right? If Penn State has a couple losses, they want nothing more than to go in and beat Ohio State to fuck their season up at the end of the year. Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, any of those other top five Big Ten teams that are usually somewhere on the up. Same with the SEC, right? They all go in and they just beat the shit out of each other all year long. And whether they lose a game or two, you know those kids are coming to play every single weekend because Auburn wants nothing more if they have two losses on their schedule, if they already have two losses, than to beat Bama in the Iron Bowl at the end of the season and screw Bama over from getting into that college football playoff, right? So that's another group of teams that has that ability. And then when you go down another kind of tier or notch here, you're looking at, to your point, you have your Michigans, you have your Wisconsin's, Texas, Notre Dame, and then you have your other teams that might not be these every year powerhouses, but they're teams that are competitive and can make noise. And you're looking at your Iowa's, your Iowa States. Roll clones, baby. Roll clones. There it is. Your Baylor's. Those kind of teams that are on the outside looking in. But if it's a weird season, weird shit happens. Weird shit happens in college football all the time. We watched the Iowa Iowa State game last year. They had. 8,000 fucking rain delays in that game. It took and like eight hours to from first uh, scheduled kickoff to end the game was eight hours, something stupid like that. And the game came down to the last possession, right? And then two years ago, we played Oklahoma 31-point underdogs, had our backup quarterback start who had never taken a starting snap. And you won. And won. It's, like, it's anything can happen. They're the teams that are just out there. Again, they have games circled on their schedule just to ruin other people's seasons and make a name for themselves. And they want nothing more than to do that and increase the recruiting classes. And then you have the other this powers is- that might have fallen off a little bit and are trying to reclimb that mountain, right? Your USC, your Miami, your Florida State, your Tennessees, those kind of teams that... Depending on the way it shakes out, again, they're never out of it, and they can make some noise. Yeah, you hear their, those schools, and you think, historically, they're decent at football. But at current climate, not really in the conversation. But not to be a homer of Iowa State, but I think we're trending up. I think. Think so? <laughs> yeah. This is a year we make, make the leap? I mean, it really happened in the last four years. Ever since Matt Campbell came in been making strides with our program and year in year out it's another step another step another step obviously we got smoked it to by notre dame in the uh camping world bowl, bowl this year but i mean that was the first time we played such a 
top tier talent. Yeah, like I mean, granted Notre Dame, I don't think they were anything amazing last year, but it's still Notre Dame. You hear Notre Dame, you think good football. Yep, I think that's fair, and I think to your point, some of these teams that historically, such as like a USC, a Miami, have that aura about them. They might not be in the strongest conferences now, right? Obviously, Miami has Clemson to deal with. USC is out west. They have Washington, things like that. But they're teams that don't have to be spectacular the entire season to continually put up Ws, right? And at the end of the day, it's very rare that we're seeing five, six undefeated teams. And if they have the ability to play a not fantastic opponent, but a conference opponent and still get the job done... That lifts those teams up, and those that gives those teams a chance to come out and play when they need to and, and make a name for themselves. So yeah. I think that there will be a lot of parity to begin your season, just as always. And I think there's going to be a couple of teams that rise to the top. I think your Ohio State's going to be strong. I think your Clemson's going to be strong. I think in the Big Ten, I think Penn State will be strong, and I think Wisconsin play such fundamentally sound football they're not going to go out there and blow your doors off but they're not going to lose themselves to football game and that's a team that other big 10 teams are concerned about because they're going to play that smash mouth old school big 10 football and give themselves a chance at the end of every game yeah couldn't have said it better myself so also with ncaa you see they're uh gonna allow players to make money off their likes and personality I like that. I think they deserve it. To your point, they make so much money for the universities. I think that that's fair. How they do it, they obviously need to be very strategic as to how they set it up. Is it a trust for the kids after school? But you have to think, this this is going to benefit the kids that aren't the number one player more than the kids that are. The kids that are the top players are going to play a professional sport. They're going to sign a professional contract, get a signing bonus. They're going to have their shot to make millions upon millions and get paid for the rest of their life. The other kids that might not have that ability, but are dedicate so much of their life to the sport, this will give them a little nest egg that as they try and make that transition from athletics into the real world, they have some money that, again, if it's set up correctly and they can't blow it on frivolous things, they can really use to generate yeah. whatever it is for themselves. Is it a business? Is it some sort of athletic coaching? Is it them just transitioning into a standard career post-athletics that they've never really worried about because they didn't have summer internships, they didn't work summer jobs, their lives were focused around this sport that they played to get themselves to every level, to give themselves every opportunity to get to college. Because for many of these kids, that's their only chance to go. Yeah. To that point, do you think the players that could make it to the next level, do you think now there's going to be maybe they play another season to stay with the program, maybe get their degree, or do you think they still leave early to get the cash out? I think they still cash out. I think if it's there, you have to take that opportunity. I think if you know you are going to be drafted, you have to pursue that dream, right? Again, this is what they have worked their entire life for. But I do really like this for setting up a nest egg for other folks, and I'm excited to see how it transitions across sports and how they can help a lot of people, especially other sports, right? That there might not be a professional 
level for them, but these kids are still generating money for the universities. The, some of the universities, these other sports that don't have true professional athletics for them are the sports that the university is best in, that they're ranked highest in nationally, that they compete for national championships in. And to see those kids be able to profit off of that, albeit probably smaller, but again, creating that nest egg where this is what they've done their entire life, that I think that's exciting. I think that's an exciting prospect for the kids, for the families, and something that they deserve. So I'm excited to really see how it plays out. Yeah, I agree. So And so next point, does that bring back the NCAA video game? One can only hope. I've, I've seen mixed things about it, so my hopes aren't too high. Because basically... They'd have to create a players' union. In There's order hurdles to do that. for sure. And I'd, word on the street is that they'd just be figuring out the basically a tier system for players, basically NFL draft prospects, people who are borderline, then people who are under. Like, how do you divvy out that? And yeah. Like, I don't know. It would be sick because, I mean, people are buying the last. 14 game and buying an Xbox 360 just and play. playing it because it's awesome. It's a great game. I don't know. Yeah. Jealous because PC players on the new Maddens can download like rosters and play as college teams. But you have to have a PC. So. Yeah. I think obviously your easy solution, right, is to do some sort of even split across everyone based on rev generated. But I'm sure that's not how it's going to be. I'm sure they want to make a tier system. I think that works because, again, if you're going to give your NFL drafted player more of the rev split, that's also the person that's about to sign a multi-million dollar contract, right, and have a chance to play the professional sport where the other kid, you're just cutting his rev, and that person isn't going to get that chance, right? So yeah. that nest egg it might be more beneficial for that person. So... There's both sides to the argument. I just hope that they can figure it out in a way that's effective and a way that will help all of the student athletes that are generating enormous amounts of money yeah. for their universities get something in return. Yeah, I mean, you'd like to think that the players that know they're going to go to the next level could essentially not sacrifice, but be willing to... For the greater good. Yeah, yes. take take... Take the lesser pay now because they know that they have a better chance than their sure. their roommate or whoever it is on the team. To right, that was a walk on, or that only had a partial scholarship and worked his ass off. Yeah. And he's one of those kids that you see at the beginning of a year get one of those awesome scholarship videos at a team meeting where he's now on a full scholarship and doesn't have to worry about the financial burden. Yeah. And then we understand obviously they're getting the education for free. Many of these kids, and that's part of the payment that they have to factor in. But when you look at the amount of money they're generating for the schools, I think it is right. Again, not paying them in college, but setting it up somehow as a nest egg for these kids once they graduate and for many of them when they transition into, you know, standard everyday life. Yeah. And maybe that's part of it. And maybe if you're a top X round draft pick or if you play for X amount of years in the league, then it's essentially on a holding pattern where you are then donating that back into the pot for other folks. Who knows how they set it up, but it's an interesting prospect and I can't wait to see how it how it develops down the line. Yeah. But 
With that being said, you want to kick off the the lose review at this point? Yeah, so the oven just beeped. Our timer is done. Tyler's never had it before, so. Let's see how it is. All right, here is going to be the first in what I think we will call Cities Trying Cities segment or something of that nature. We're not bad. Still workshopping the name. Yeah, yeah. But what we're going to do here is try, well, I will try for the first time a Lou Malnati's deep dish. Yeah, so as promised, they came in on a Friday. Only one week late. That's great. But that's besides the point. So we got two. We got a sausage and we got a cheese. We're going to try the cheese now. We'll probably have the sausage during the week. Maybe next weekend. Who knows? We'll figure that out. But I think this will be the first thing. We will try this. Chicago pizza and then we'll see what we do next another chicago thing a philly thing we'll see what else we can get delivered to us during yeah. this quarantine and so it is the frozen one though obviously so take take it with a grain of salt obviously at the actual restaurant it'd be much better yeah at I least think twice as good so that's fair we already had this discussion offline and i have agreed that when i go out to chicago I will be more than happy to go into the restaurant and try Illuminati's there also for the in-person experience. But for sake of quarantine, we're going to go with the frozen option here. So, Ryan, how would you describe what I'm about to consume? Just pizza goodness. Pizza goodness. Excellence, if you will, if I may. Um, I know you previously said you don't consider it pizza. But I think you'll have a bite and realize it tastes just the same. And you're about to do it. Okay. So, also, you're struggling to pick it up. In restaurant, typically, you eat it with a fork and knife. So, should I be fork and knifing this? No, no, no. You can do it either way. But some people do it with... I don't... I shouldn't have said typically. Some people do eat it with a fork and knife. So, it's not, like, because it is thick like that. But, okay. So, here we go. Let's see. <laughs> Two bites in. Yeah, you're going to have to ad-lib for us because it's going to be bad radio if I'm just munching on pizza. <laughs> um, yeah. So I will admit I was wrong on the two-day shipping thing that I said last time. But to be fair, I ordered it one day after I said I was going to order it. So I don't think that really would have changed it coming in a week earlier. Might have. You don't know I, when they sold I, out. I don't think so. But. All right. So I've had like half the slice. It's good. I don't, a couple problems that I have with it, and I will attribute at least one of these to it being, maybe not, I mean, maybe this is a problem and why I probably don't care for deep dish and why I wouldn't call it a pizza, but the bottom is very soft. The crust is really soft, very doughy on the bottom. Not something I like. In pizza, being from the Northeast, you're going to get your traditional football based pizza that's crunchy on the bottom your thin bar pizza crunchy on the bottom if you're going to get a square sicilian pie even something like that the square is still crunchy on the bottom it has the doughiness above it but it's still crunchy on the bottom so that's something that i expect in the pizza so i don't like that the bottom is but you so expect that soft. because it's all thin so like obviously this is no like a sicilian is 
still crunchy on the bottom and then doughy above it. The Sicilian is not thin by any means. It has a ton of dough on the bottom. Okay. Also, so, we probably could have left it in like five minutes longer than it said to. Well, that's to not it, that's not an us problem. That's a bad directions on Lou Malnati's yeah, part. Yeah, no, I agree. Problem. Um, they got to have the directions down pat if they want me to enjoy the best product. So, I dislike that. The crust on the backside is good. It's crisp. I think that's enjoyable. A ton of cheese, which being an Italian kid from the Northeast, like we're Italian person anywhere, right? Like love cheese, fresh mozz, unreal. So that's great. Sauce. I don't know if it's for me. I think it's good sauce, but I think stylistically it might not just be the best sauce that I like. It has like some sweetness to it, which I don't really love in my sauce um, yeah. or in my Sunday gravy. I'm not a sweets person, so. Can we touch on that real quick for all you guys? Back it's home? gravy. I know where this is. You're trying to lead this. The answer is gravy. I understand. It's but on pizza, so that means it's pizza sauce. But outside of that, it's gravy, and it's not a debate. No, I'm not trying to debate. I'm just explaining it for. Everyone, the Chicago people back home that have never gravy. heard it called gravy. It's so, not, we're not talking about turkey brown gravy on <laughs> your turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes. We're talking about red gravy that your Italian grandma makes in a big vat every Sunday on the stove that she just stirs and stirs and stirs with a wooden spoon that looks like it's from 1810. Yeah, so what we call red sauce, you Midwesterners, or it's pasta gravy. sauce, is called gravy, gravy out here. That's or, correct. I guess... Out here is that's the only thing it's called. Yes, it's gravy. That's just the definition. So, well, it took me a while to understand, but besides that, I mean, it's it's okay, right? Like I like the cheese, I like the backside of the crust. If you put a different type of pizza sauce on top of it, I would probably enjoy that more, but. I understand that that's a very preference-based thing. Maybe that's more of a Chicago-style pizza sauce, by all means. Go for that. It's a little chunkier. Again, preference thing, not my vibe. Um, I think the biggest attractor for me is just the bottom of it. I expect the crispiness on the bottom that I'm used to. And we don't get that in. Maybe it'll look different in the store, but I don't think so because people are eating it with a fork and knife. That means it's going to be floppy regardless. If I had to give it a score on the unofficially official the box pod one through four box flaps rating scale that I just created as I'm saying the sentence and is will be workshopped and refined, <laughs> I will give this a two point eight one flaps. Point. So I don't know how you do point eight one flaps, but yeah, it's like UPS really fucked up and the flap was ripped, so part of it was open, part of it was still taped shut. Everyone's got an Amazon box like that. You're like, did someone break into this or did this just get smashed with another box because UPS didn't give a shit about handling the packages That's correctly, fair. That's right? Fair. So you, you you get where that comes from. Um, but yeah. I think it's a fair score for a frozen pizza. Yeah, I think. <laughs> so I adjusted the rating. I guess I should have started with that. Right, I didn't compare it to like a totally fresh yeah. pizza because I don't think that, in all fairness, obviously, a decent fresh pizza is going to be comparable or better than probably the best frozen pizza just by the nature of it, how it's being cooked in a pizza oven versus 
our oven in the apartment, etc. So by all means, it was adjusted and I will have to re-rate the in-person one. But I mean, it's good, right? Yeah. I like it. We're going to crush the pizza. You brought up a good point about the sauce, though. I mean, so a lot of Chicago people either stick to Lumont Eyes or Giordano's. Like, they pick one hill and they die on it. So, gotcha. personally, I haven't had Giordano's in probably 10 years. Okay. So, now I'm curious if, if the sauce is different from each place. I mean, obviously, every pizza place has slightly different sauce. Yep. But to your point of the sweetness and whatnot, I'm curious myself if that's a Chicago thing. Or if it's Lumonati's specifically. So well, maybe that, we'll have to get one of those. We'll a couple have to try other pla- deep dish places. There's actually one out here. It's not solely deep dish, but um, they do have deep dish pizzas that I've had before that aren't half bad. We'll have to try it. When we go, I think, you know, similar to, right, next time that you've been there already and you've done some of this, so we don't want to put the cart before the horse and give it away, but... Next time you come to Philly, right, we're going to have to do a cheesesteak tour. Yeah. And again, every place has their own. The yeah. rolls are different. Yeah. The way they do their whiz is different. The way they do their onions is different. Do they slice the steak? Do they chop the steak? Right? It's the same. I'm sure it's the same thing with the yeah, dish pizza, exactly. right? So, by all means, we'll have to run the gamut and try all of them and see, you know, what that deciding factor is. But yeah. I think that that's it for our first Cities Tasting Cities Review. Uh, yeah, and that was Lou Malnati's right there. We gave it a 2.81 flaps. There it is. That is our first official City vs. City review. Lou Malnati's 2.81 flaps. A lot of flaps. Yeah, I'll say. I think that was a strong review to start, and we'll see where that goes. But with that, let's jump into let's jump into this week's segments. First thing that we want to talk about is the Bill Clinton holding records on Instagram that everyone has. BillClintonSwag.com. That's a cool website name. Yeah, right. That's where you can build it. That I'm sure this was the latest quarantine. We had the push-up challenge. We did the see one, post one for people in jerseys. We did the handstand challenge. Now we're doing the BillClintonSwag.com record challenge. Yeah. We both did it. So let us dive let's, into let's run it down. our sets. So why don't you give me your... You want to go back and forth here or you want to run it one person straight through? Uh, we'll go back and forth. All right. Well, why, don't so, you, why don't you start? It's a no, no order. Um, but first one I had was Third Eye Blind, self-titled. Um. Just because that was the first, not the first like rock album I listened to, but one of the first ones I knew the words to every single song. So. I think that's a very Midwest pick of you. Maybe. I mean, you gotta, I think def- you get, maybe de- definitely. You love listening to Jumper and Semi Charmed Life <laughs> driving down around the neighborhood. Okay. All right. My first one was Graduation, Kanye. That's a good one, too. Absolute Heat. Yeah. Without a doubt. And I think that that was my number one album. I think the way I approached it was that... That was also another thing I did, didn't understand. Because some people you'd see... I'll let you explain how you approached it, but... Tail on after this, but... Go ahead. How did some people do it? 
I feel like some people did like their current top albums or what they think is the best ones, whatever. Whereas I saw some other people do like their first albums or like favorite, like growing up. I don't know. So I took it as like the first one that like made an impact, I guess. But okay. So I went top all time, but I had the caveat that I wanted to. We listened to a wide range of music. Yes. And I did not want to box myself in into one genre, so I limited myself to only one album per genre. If I were to just pick my top four albums all time, they would all be Kanye West albums. That's not fair. That's a fair point. So the hardest part of this for me was selecting the one Kanye West album I was putting in it, right? Yeah. So if I thought about my albums top all time, probably my top six are like Kanye West albums, and then there is the other three that I have coming up, and that's because I think in rap, the different decades are very segregated and different in terms of what the music sounds like, where I think rock, country, EDM, there's obviously differences, but they're much more similar across decades. And many of those bands or artists, all of their fantastic songs aren't on one album. Yes. Like I, yeah. Love the Rolling Stones. That was the hard part about this for me too. Like, the Rolling Stones, I there's, I listen to their album straight through, but they're not top album straight through. Yes, because of the collection of Rolling Stones songs that I like the best. Kanye, I listen to his album straight through because it's all heat, yeah. and like that's the era of rap that I enjoy. Like, I don't really enjoy today's like mumble rap. I enjoy that right, and same with like yeah. country. People have different personas that they portray in albums so you might like two or three songs from an album but not the rest of it and then you might like two or three from their next album or like edm i think that's just such a fluid genre that people can have absolute banger on one album but you don't really listen to an edm album straight through right yeah because half of them they'll just release the single ahead of time to get it out get radio plays xyz but yeah so i think that that made it hard for me so i limited myself but in fairness, if I was going to rank my real albums all time, it would probably be like five or six Kanye albums, and then the other three albums I had on this thing would be right after those. So, so Graduation yeah. was one for me. Two for me, this was a cheat pick, but I wanted to get Avicii in there, so I picked the Levels album, which is literally just four Dude, tracks of Levels. You're going to make us all cry now. With different... Well, I mean, that's why he deserved to be in there. Um, so it's just four tracks of Levels and different remixes. So that was my second pick after graduation. My second pick, another rocker, Red Hot Chili Peppers, um, for the sole reason that I got into them because of a rock band. They had Danny California on the set, and that I could play that song 10 times in a row when I was 12 and not get bored of it. And that's what just led me into liking them with uh, Snow and Tell Me Baby. And I mean, it's a fantastic album. Yeah. That was... One of the top three albums I was debating between for my rock selection. What was your third? What was your third? Third, uh, Kid Cudi. So I saw at the time I saw a lot of people doing Kanye, so I didn't want to follow the trend necessarily. And looking back on my childhood, whatever, Kid Cudi kind of what was one of my first. Which album? Uh, Man on the Moon. Okay, the first so, one. Yeah. Okay. So. That's a fire album, also. Yeah, I I agree. <laughs> Hence. Yep. Who do you have at three? So my third one was 
Tom Petty, and this was a Oof. cheat pick for me because of the rock bands. Tom Petty has a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers greatest hits album, which I think is circumventing the process here, but I 100% picked it for the reasons I just said. So I used their greatest hits album. That was my third pick because anyone can listen to Tom Petty all day long. Just yeah. absolute, sick. What absolute vibe out yeah. there. And then my last pick was Ignite the Night, Chase Rice, country album. Chase Rice is in my top five country artists. He's not number one or two of those artists, but that is an album that, again, is one of the few country albums I will listen to straight through top to bottom, and I enjoy it. It is a more upbeat country album, and I think that was the differentiator between maybe a Thomas Red album that I might really like and can also listen to straight through, but might be a little slower. Um, I know other people had FGL, so I didn't want to put those in there, but that was that was my fourth pick to round it out. Yeah, speaking of FGL and country, that was actually my fourth pick. Uh, I think this, they dropped this in 2012. Here's to the good times. Um, great album. Fantastic. Obviously, it's not. I mean, their songs aren't the greatest. They're up there. They're great by all means, but like, they're not the beginning of today's Asian country like there's songs before that in the early mid thousands that just weren't as popular but for me this was the first album that brought today's country to my attention and sure pretty much introduced me to country so they have the more rock flair and their more upbeat party such as not rock it's not pop your, whatever you want not to your it. old school country yes yeah it's, so so that's what i went with makes sense so that's our bill clinton swag.com top four albums selection for you uh, next segment, you're welcome. You're welcome. So in case you guys forgot, um, it's Mother's Day this Sunday. So order your mom flowers. Yeah, because time's flown by during quarantine. It's already May. And if you can't go see her, she's going to be really fucking angry if you don't order her flowers. Yeah. So go to one of those flower websites. No free ads, but you can Google them and order her some flowers because she will really appreciate that kind gesture. So with that being said, you're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, next segment is a new revamped segment that I'm excited to send it to. And this is going to be Science Talk. We have our f- official, unofficial, official science person of the podcast, Nikki Knowledge. Nikki Knowledge. And no he K. is about to drop the knowledge on us. So with that being said, let's send it over to Science Talk. All right, new segment alert here. Science talk part two, not having Ryan read bullshit definitions. We're actually bringing a scientist on, so this is a big upgrade for us. Uh, everyone, please put your hands together. A warm welcome for Nikki Knowledge, our resident scientist and expert onto the podcast. Nick, how are you? Good, how's it going? Just living the dream out here. Nice weather, so can't complain during this shitty quarantine. Yeah, um, yeah. What uh? What have you been up to recently? How's how's the life going? How's quarantine life? <clears throat> it's all right. I uh, went kayaking yesterday. Got the first Ooh. sunburn of the season. So nice, nice. Not base really burns. Up to, not living up to being Italian, that's for sure. Yeah, but the base <laughs> burns essential. You got to get that out of the way as soon as you can. That's right. Yeah, but I, it was cloudy. I didn't think it was gonna be too bad. So I just had a t-shirt on. So I just got to get rid of the farmer's tan now. <laughs> yeah, that's how it goes. You can't get sunburn, real sunburn in the spring anyway, so. Yeah, you got a couple months till you really get fried, and then you're fucked. Yeah, what, uh, something before I go down to Florida. 
That's smart. What, uh, did you kayak and fish or did you just kayak? <clears throat> no, we either go out to a lake. It's crazy. It's actually a lake in the middle of an island in the middle of the Delaware River. That's usually where we go to just hang out because there's like a rope swing and a few like beach areas. And I fish out there, but we did a different trail um, in like Langhorn and Newtown just gotcha. down the river. Since it rained a lot this week, it was easy. Uh, I, don't, I did that trail once last year, uh, but it didn't rain for like a week before that. So the water was pretty shallow. And we had to get out like five times to drag the kayak, which makes it miserable. So yesterday was actually pretty good. That's good. That's Eastern PA for you Midwest folks listening that don't have any concept as to what yeah. we're talking about. Yeah, I, have, I have no idea. But all right, well, as our resident scientist and go-to authority on anything that is remotely intelligent, um, we'll start off the first science talk with what your scientific background is. So I was lucky enough to go to Nikki Knowledge's master's thesis defense. Um, I will not try and say a bunch of dumb shit about it. I will let him explain it to you, but he is now enrolled in a PhD program for something very similar. So Nick's whole career, college life, professional career has all been centered around cancer research and trying to push forward on that front. And obviously everyone in that front having the same end goal of, you know, finding a cure and developing something that we can utilize and specify for the masses to help fight such a terrible disease. So I think with that being said, Nick, I know most of your research centers around CAR T cells. So why don't you give us what the more scientific version of what you're doing kind of is? Yeah, sure. Um, And yeah, what I'm doing now is similar to what I'd done before, what you had sat through for the master's. So by the time I defend the PhD thesis, you'll you'll definitely be an expert in uh, CAR T cells. (laughs) Yeah, my background is definitely a mix between like immunology and uh, cell biology, like cancer research. And that's what I'm doing now as well for work with drug discovery for biologic drugs, um, essentially drugs that are made by uh, your immune system. Um, CAR T cells, obviously I'm (laughs) a science nerd, so I think they're pretty cool, but um, I would recommend everyone looking them up because I think it's the one of the hottest areas, if not the hottest area of uh, cancer research and uh, immunotherapy more specifically that's that's out right now um, and it's been proving to be pretty effective um, you might hear me say efficacy but that basically just means that it's effective in clinical trials when they're testing it um, <clears throat> but the general concept for CAR T cells is trying to engineer the cells of your immune system more specifically your T cells to be able to recognize um, engage and destroy cancer cells. Um, so I'll start with like the nitty gritty details of it and then go more general. So, uh, a CAR T cell is a chimeric antigen receptor T cell, whereby scientists use, uh, essentially dumbed down viruses to, uh, forcibly make these T cells express these certain CAR receptors that specifically only engage a particular protein or antigen that might be found ideally exclusively on a cancer cell, if that makes sense. So, uh, and this has been with a lot of uh, heme targets. So a lot of like blood cancers per se. Um, So say, just for, as an example, say uh, a patient has lung cancer and when this is almost every cancer uh, we have, uh, we're generating CAR T cells again. So 
this isn't even a made up example. Say take lung cancer um, and there's a particular protein that's expressed on or found on the outside surface of a lung tumor cell. Well, if you can make these chimeric antigen receptors specific enough where they only engage that protein and nothing else, then you can train or engineer your T cells to uh, have the receptors that recognize them and give them to, or <clears throat> through a blood transfusion, give them to a cancer patient with that particular cancer. And that, that CAR, and by extension, that CAR T cell is not going to harm anything else unless it recognizes that specific protein. So, and that kind of goes off of what immunotherapy is in general, where it's supposed to be targeted compared to um, more old school treatments, such as like chemotherapy and radiation, where it's non-specific treatment that, for lack for a better explanation, is just blasting a general region of the body rather than specifically going in to target a particular protein or type of molecule, if that makes sense. So um, the process starts by taking a blood transfusion from a patient's body who is already proven to have a particular type of cancer. Um, and then the scientists in the lab will uh, engineer the T cells to express whatever car um, they want the T cells to express that they know will recognize that particular tumor. And then after expanding these T cells in a lab, just in a Petri dish, these cells will be given back to the patient through another blood transfusion. And then that patient in theory is equipped with what they need to fight off that, that uh, those tumor cells, if that makes sense. Yeah. So do you have any questions so far? Does that all make sense? <laughs> I uh, guess, does it mostly, is it more affected from fighting off new tumors that come or is it just as 50-50 on new ones and ones that they already have? So the field is still relatively new, but so far it's been much more effective at what I said earlier with like heme targets. So just like you hear about like leukemia and lymphoma, which are uh, cancers of your uh, blood cells, right? So yeah. like of, of the very same cells we're talking about, your B cells, T cells, or other, um, I mean, there's various types of immune cells. Um, but for lymphomas and leukemias, if you just think about it, not even, not even with the science background, if a, a tumor cell or a number of tumor cells are naturally found in your blood system and are circulating through your body, that's exactly where your CAR T cells would also be located after mm -hmm. uh, treatment is given to a patient. Now, those tumor cells are much more accessible than, say, a solid mass on someone's lung or on their pancreas, yeah. um, which can't be infiltrated or targeted as easily. Um, so just by sheer randomness of bumping into the tumor cells, by having them in the same proximity of each other, we found so far for various cancers that it's been much more effective in the clinic. Uh, and even to date, unless I'm missing anything brand new, there are two CAR T cells that have been FDA approved. Um, one is, I don't want to butcher the name, one is Yes Carta and one is uh, Kimria. Um, first company making it was is called Novartis. Um, and I think one of the treatments is for uh, for children and the other CAR T cell that's been approved is more targeted towards adults that have different types of lymphomas and leukemias. Um, and I don't, I don't want to claim that these treatments completely erase the need for radiation because of what happens in most cases these are very expensive treatments and they're used as like a last ditch effort uh, for the most part with patients that are already stage four or have the uh, most aggressive form of cancer or haven't really responded to any other types of uh, interventions. 
So in a lot of cases, in a last ditch effort, they throw everything at it. So the uh, patient might re uh, receive chemotherapy that will pretty much blast and get rid of most of your immune cells, which will of course be regenerated um, and you'll have new ones made, but sort of a combination between that initial blast of radiation also while being given CAR T cells kind of is the best way to hit, uh, hit the cancer with a bunch of different uh, treatment strategies, if that makes sense. So uh, combination drugs is getting very uh, uh, popular, not only for CAR T cells, but for other forms as well. Yeah, that's, I think that makes sense to me. And it's very interesting. I think for a lot of folks who didn't sit through your master's thesis defense, it might be slightly over their head. So if we took a step back and tried to dumb it down for the average person, okay. could you explain the process of what you're doing in like a very basic simplified manner? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the T cells, T cells of your immune system, their job as is even uh, not being affected by scientists trying to engineer them. Their job in the body is to get rid of damaged cells or mutated cells or infected cells, either with a virus or bacteria, whatever it may be. So they're already uh, trained to kill cells that are believed to be damaged or in some way need to be killed. So what scientists have started to do is to try to intervene and engineer or just change what these cells have to offer to killing cancer cells. Because in a lot of cases, cancer cells can evade or uh, pretty much get around the immune system without them thinking, hey, this cell needs to be killed for one reason or another. So essentially, uh, the T cells, by engineering them, we can modify them so that they can recognize the cancer cells compared to the healthy tissue that you do not want to uh, destroy or harm in any way. Got it. So that's very interesting. So essentially what your research is focused on is being able to take these T cells out of the body, manipulate them in a way that you are telling them to focus on X specific gene, which would be part of the cancer, nothing else in your body, re putting them, reintroducing them into the bloodstream. So that way they can then essentially on a search and destroy mission for this specific gene that is only found in cancer that they can then eliminate that killing the cancer and leaving the rest of the body unharmed where a normal radiation treatment would just kill everything in one area. And you're essentially living with the consequences of that, knowing that it should kill the cancer, but other stuff as well. Is that like a base level of what we're doing? Yep. Yeah, that's exactly it. And it's important um, to note that you need to use the T cells from the patient's body because similarly when, um, say someone's in the hospital and they need a blood transfusion and you can't just give them any blood type. It needs to be the same exact blood type or a certain blood type that will be accepted because if it's not, then your immune system will pretty much attack it and see it as being foreign rather than self. Yeah. Um, so similarly here, we wanted to use the T cells from that patient's body because it's not a hundred percent, but it's pretty much assumed that those cells will be accepted back into the body and not rejected or attacked by the body thing that it's some foreign material. Um, and we haven't gotten there yet, but scientists are definitely looking into the idea of trying to make off the shelf, uh, quote unquote, off the shelf CAR T cells where uh, it's, there are those that can be accepted and um, which would be a lot easier to mass produce if you can just make one type of CAR T cell 
and manufactured at a very large scale in a lab and then pretty much put it in a bottle or have frozen vials and then just dish them to different patients that need them, if that makes sense. But where we are now is that it needs to be the cells from the patient's body themselves, just so we know that there aren't going to be any uh, uh, issues with rejection, just like you do, just like uh, might happen from uh, like a, uh, even like a lung transplant or liver transplant, yeah. whatever it may be, it has to match up. So with these being specific to individual patients and that they're typically, since it's expensive for uh, like stage four, you said earlier, mm -hmm. what's the like turnaround typically from taking it out and then seeing if it works or not, I guess. Um, so it should be about a few weeks um, and that's usually to being on the safe side. So it, it won't take long to pull them out. Um, it takes just like I had, um, uh, mentioned previously in a private conversation with you guys actually doing some of this stuff in the lab now. And for me, it takes about like a week, maybe two weeks to find out if um, the cells have uh, divided and successfully engineered to have these receptors. However, the amount that you need for a patient is at a much larger scale. So it would take longer than just a few weeks. And the last time I checked the literature, I, I believe it's at like $250,000 um, as an average for how much these treatments cost, which is pretty excessive. And obviously, uh, you know, when you're talking to families, uh, the, the main priority is helping the patient, right? If you can help them get better. Unfortunately, that's not, that might not always be in the best interest of an insurance company who's going to have to pay that 250K. So that's why these treatments as of now, unfortunately, are only available to some people or they need to be in the right uh, situation or have already tried chemo or some other form of treatment that has for whatever reason failed or they went into remission. I think that that just highlights the point you touched on as to how important the research that yourself and others are doing, because if there's a way to not only make this an effective process, which it seems like we're getting farther and farther down the line of, but then eventually be able to hit that inflection point where it's not just we know we can do this and be successful at doing it. It's that we can do it and do it on a large scale to severely reduce the cost. That's really the point where this becomes the new or has the potential to become, I don't want to say the new mainstream chemo, but almost to that effect where this can be done on a large scale for a significantly reduced price. So families don't have to worry about things like insurance companies being their hurdle. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And that goes to Picard T-cells as well as uh, a few other or most of our other immunotherapy strategies where the goal is to be highly selective rather than nonspecific. And when you can accomplish that appropriately, then you get rid of a lot of the side effects. Um, and again, we're, we're painting a picture like this is a, a easy process. Obviously, it's not easy. It's not always 100% that you get a target molecule on the tumor cell that is only expressed on a tumor cell. Uh, these are just arbitrary numbers, but say on any given tumor cell, you might have like a thousand or 10,000 copies of this type of protein or molecule that you're targeting. And maybe it's exclusively on that tumor cell, which is a perfect case because then you're not gonna have any toxicity. However, sometimes say you might even have 10,000 copies of that molecule on the tumor cell, but maybe on healthy lung tissue instead of a, a cancerous lung tissue, you might still have like 500 or 1,000 copies of that molecule. Well, that 
the car T cell is only so smart, lack for a better word, so that it's, it's still going to bind to that. It will bind to just out of sheer chance of having 10 times more molecules on the tumor cell surface, it's more likely to target that, but it can't tell the difference at that point between healthy and uh, cancerous tissue. So it would still bind and kill the healthy cells. Um, but ideally, you don't have to worry about that. Or if you do, it's just at a lower number um, on the healthy tissue, if that makes sense. So it's not a perfect process. It's still, still a learning curve. And there's a lot of uh, uh, sequencing and a lot of genomic testing to find out what cell types express what proteins or targets. And you're going to need a different scientist for that because that's definitely not my <laughs> expertise. I just know that that is a, a factor that needs to be considered as well. Well, here might be a dumb question that will make you look smarter. <laughs> you're throwing around 5,000, 10,000 cells and whatnot. Typically, mm -hmm. people th think of that as a big number. How relative in the human body, how is big of a or small of a number is that? Sure. I, I mean, it, honestly, it's just arbitrary. It, it can vary. There are some molecules or whether, whether they're tumor proteins or just any sort of receptor, any molecule on the surface of a cell. It could be anywhere from a couple hundred to a couple hundred thousand. And we have ways to find out this stuff, but there's always a, a gap. And that's what they call translational medicine. When you go from what you think makes sense in a dish even working with like tumor cells in a dish and then actually putting it in a body. Um, and that's why I had to go through so many clinical trials first to find out if it's safe Two, if it actually does what you think it's supposed to do. And three can, which is phase three trials, which is expanding the sample size and again, making sure that it works, it's safe. And if there's any short or long-term side effects, if that makes sense. But in terms of how many molecules of a certain type or on a cell surface, it can vary it. it is very complex. It can it can be very different. Um, so in a perfect world for uh, targeting tumor cells, you want to find an antigen that is expressed high and only on tumor cells. But it's not always perfect. Gotcha. I mean, it's really interesting shit, right? Yeah. Like it's yeah. it's wild to think about. And obviously, the research is just fantastic to hear that people are doing this and there's much smarter people than myself and Ryan out there working on this because that gives us hope that there will actually be a cure. Um, I'm sure everyone listening to this has learned an immense amount in this conversation and I'm sure they appreciate you dumbing it down to Ryan and I's level because that means that all of them are able to also in fact understand this because we're at the bottom of the barrel in terms of intelligence. <laughs> I mean, um, you already heard it basically once over. If I can understand it, then even better for everybody too. Right. So we appreciate you coming on and doing this. I'm sure our follow-up science talks will be of lighter subjects and more interesting subject matter. But I think it was the research again, it's just so interesting in what you're doing. I felt like we were doing a disservice to folks to not explore this as the initial topic. So I'm glad that you were happy to speak about what you do and the research that you're conducting, not only in your professional setting, but also throughout your PhD program. So we really appreciate that. And right before we let you go, though, obviously, being, you know, a diehard Philly sports fan, I think it would be unjust if I didn't ask you about a few of our teams. So with that being said, I think the first thing is NHL wise, obviously, we don't know if the league's coming back yet. But what are your thoughts on do they play? Do they not? And then how the Flyers look? 
Yeah, so I'm, I mean, I'm definitely hoping that it comes back just as a hockey fan, but especially this year being a Flyers fan because they were pretty hot leading up to before quarantine started. Um, Flyers are one of my favorites, honestly, to, to make the cup. I might have a few wagers in to make me a little more biased, but uh, yeah, I think they have a good, pretty good shot. Obviously, there's different reports that come out every day. Uh, I think right before chatting with you, I saw some report about baseball coming back or that they believe in July it's going to start and that all, all teams will be able to use their home fields. I know the topic is hockey, but I think it honestly it's going to be some kind of domino effect. Um, there might not be fans in the stands, but I think between baseball, uh, obviously football later on, but for now, baseball, hockey, and basketball all might follow similar trends. Uh, either they're all going to do it or none of them are going to do it. So seeing a report like that for baseball makes me optimistic that hockey's going to come back. Um, I do like the Flyers on the West. I think I have – Again, being biased, I think I have the Avs making it, but I think the Avalanche uh, do have the best odds, maybe next to Vegas, who is also doing pretty well right now. Um, but, yeah, I, I think the Flyers are young, but so I wasn't sure if it was going to be this year or next year, but I think they look pretty good, and I think they're pretty hungry, which I think makes for a dangerous team in the playoffs. Yeah, a young roster, to your point, a lot of energy. The break, I think – Helps both the teams we just talked about. The Flyers helps, obviously, the potential of having Nolan Patrick back, even though he's missed the entire season with the migraines. And just the boys getting great news about Oscar and him finishing his cancer mm. treatment. You know, that does nothing but help the locker room and give them something even more to play for. And then looking at the abs, they were really riddled by injuries the last two months. So, again, them just using this as more of a rest recovery time doesn't help for them to get some studs back, get their goalie back, and – I think both of those are good picks if the if the season does pick up. Branching off that, you touched on it briefly, but the NFL, I think everyone is just blindly hoping that they play and that there is no mm. sort of delay there because that would really suck. But yeah. what do you think of the Birds, their draft, and you know what their season outlook looks like, and then we'll let you get out of here on that. Sure. Yeah, and, uh, starting with the draft – uh, I think like most Eagles fans, I've had mixed emotions about it uh, early on. I've gotten a little, uh, been put in a little bit of a better mood afterwards, after the initial blow of what they did. Um, one, I, I, I hedged my bets against myself, but I, I thought, I didn't know which one of those top three wide receivers the birds would get, but I thought there was no way that we weren't going to get at least one of them. Um, obviously, it sucks even more that C.D. Lamb went to the Cowboys, so now we have to deal with him for the next five to ten years. Um, so, yeah, initial reaction was that it, it sucked. I'm just hoping that Rager can can prove us wrong. Um, I, I forget. I, I'm guessing it was like SportsCenter or ESPN. I remember seeing someone post something on social media uh, about all the great players in the NFL now who have been picked second round or later. Obviously, one of the most famous ones is Tom Brady. People talk about going 199. But I think they showed, like, Travis Kelsey. They showed a bunch of the wide receivers and tight ends <clears throat> that are dominating the league right now. And they went second round and some even fourth, fifth round. Um, so it keeps me hopeful that maybe, just maybe, they uh, found something. But that's all I feel like that's all we can really do at this point. I'm confused about the Jalen Hurts pick. Um, I was definitely pissed right off the bat. But – now I'm just hoping that they're just going to try to use them like Taysom Hill. And I think that's what they're claiming, <laughs> but we'll, we'll see what happens with that. 
Uh, I don't know if you agree or not, but I, to me, I think best case scenario for the birds and probably for both quarterbacks is that we don't need Jalen Hurts to play and Carson stays healthy and he either gets us another Super Bowl or at least leads us uh, deep into the playoffs over the next few years. And while that's happening, have Jalen Hurts develop into a great quarterback where we might see him get some, uh, you know, garbage time where at the end of the uh, Carson's contract, we either get to re-sign him because he's been killing it for us or we have an option in Jalen Hurts or maybe someone else at that point. But, hey, say say Wentz does well for us over the next few years and Jalen Hurts does uh, evolve into a Russell Wilson or Lamar Jackson type player. I don't know if that'll happen, but I say best case scenario is that's what happened. Wentz isn't hurt, and then we get to dish Jalen Hurts to someone else for more draft picks or another play, key player at that point. Yeah, I think that that's – you know, I, I said as a football fan during the draft, you know, you hate the pick the day of, you're okay with it the next day, and then you'll learn to love it the following day. And I'm very much so on the same trajectory you are, where I don't love that we gave up a second-round pick for someone we want to use in a Taysom Hill-esque set. But I think that you're, you're spot on. You know, it gives us some sort of insurance policy for Carson. If he can play in a gadget type of, package that we have and garbage time and develop nothing else we can use them as an asset and put them on the trade block or god forbid Carson gets hurt it's someone that you know it has the intangibles you want in a quarterback that hopefully can step in and perform at a high level so I agree with that and you know thankfully we're just not in the bear scenario here where we spent the second overall <laughs> pick on a guy that we declined their fifth year option and then we signed the Eagles back up uh, to a couple of year deal afterwards. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That is true. Yeah, I guess the last thing I'll, I'll say about that too. I mean, I still agree with, even though I'm not as angry um, from the initial reaction. But gotta imagine, and I didn't go too in depth with like what teams wanted to trade and uh, who was willing to move around. I knew for a fact San Fran uh, made it publicly known that they wanted to get rid of their 13th, I think, their 13th overall pick, and they were willing to trade back. They ended up trading back one spot. But even if we didn't move up to 13, by the time I got to like 16, I think it was like Atlanta. Um, I forget the Cowboys were like 18 or 19, something like that. But by the time I got to the point of being five or six picks away, may- maybe Rager's their guy. And like I said, I'm hoping he proves us wrong. But if that's not the case, then how can you say why not? It- it's not going to take that much to move up six picks. I think we had, we had what we had like 21 or 22 overall, and then we had 53 overall or 56 around that range. But, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a betting man, but who's to say you don't give up something, swap your first and second with someone else or a first and third, whatever you need to do, move up those six picks, get CDOM, and then dish that 53 for someone else's like 65 or 70. And you can still probably get Jalen Hurts then just by swapping your picks or giving them some other garbage pick. That's not going to mean that much. That's how I, again, I didn't look in, in detail of what teams were willing to move, but to me that, I feel like we could have pulled it off. Um, so I'm hoping that they actually truly believe in this guy and it's not them just covering it saying, yeah, that's our guy <laughs> because they messed up. But yeah, I don't know. I, well, I, the only other thing, the last thing I'll say is that I would have been a lot less angry, especially initially about the Jalen Hurts pick if they did pick who we all wanted them to pick in the first round. Yep. I feel like that just, that just, uh, made the, that bo- the blow even worse when they went from Jalen Rager to Jalen Hurts, right? So like, say they got CeeDee Lamb, 
I feel like most people, or if they got any of those top three, they wouldn't have cared that much about second round. Like, all right, whatever, they they F this up. But I always say, you know, they made a move and got the guy. They got our guy in the first round, you know. That's that's a science guy talking football for you right there. That's what that is. (laughs) It makes too much sense. He made a lot of sense there, and I agree with all of it. Well, Nikki Knowledge, thank you for our debut science talk here. We will We will have you as our reoccurring science guest and uh, pretty much mastermind for all science questions that we have. So expect them to come fast and furious at you in the coming weeks of the podcast. But we appreciate the time. And again, clap it, hands up for, for Nikki Knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be on any time whenever you need it. Perfect. All right, let's. Well, I think it's safe to say everyone's mind was just exploded. Yeah, I'm still trying to think of this and process it. It's wild. I, It's insane that that is research that people are actively working on. I think things like that are going to just absolutely transform science as we know it, treatment as we know it. I'm excited. I'm very lucky that Nick is such a good friend of mine. He will be our reoccurring scientist of the pod. We will tackle much lighter science topics going forward, sports-related, pop culture-related. But we felt what he does in real life is just so impactful that we were doing a disservice to everyone to not let him explain that background and let him explain really what his whole life is centered and focused around. So That and just kind of gives everyone a idea that he's not just some kid that can just Talk, talk a bunch of bullshit. Right? Sure, yeah. I mean, it's... <laughs> he it's, knows He knows what he's doing. Yeah, it's really incredible stuff. So really thankful to Nikki Knowledge for coming on. He will be a reoccurring guest. So please shoot us any science talk questions that you guys have that might be more current event related. And we'll obviously have him weigh in on those. Give us his, you know, his spin on those. Make them lighthearted. But that was, you know, fantastic. So again, thank you to Nikki Knowledge for that first segment of Science Talk. Next, let's get into a quick life life update for everyone. Yeah. So Ryan, what do we got going on in the life these days? I think last time when we spoke to you guys, I said I was going to buy shoes. Um, so I spent like three, four days looking at Air Maxes on eBay, StockX, whatnot, and didn't end up buying a pair of Air Maxes. Almost flipped to Air Max Ones on Sunday. And then uh, realized I didn't want to pay. Basically, I didn't. I couldn't find a pair that I was like in love with. And if I did, they were two hundred plus dollars. And in this time, don't really want to buy two hundred dollars shoes just to have them wear around the apartment. Can't show off the drip. And so I could have taken some sick fit pics of you though for your camera roll. Yeah, but eh, I don't know. I want that to be known that that has now been offered. Then that becomes like basic, but. Um, so we pivoted to something actually useful and we bought golf shoes. You did buy golf shoes. I figured it's kind of an adult thing to have. And sure. so I figured it's about time to buy golf shoes and not just show up in gym shoes every time I go golfing. What kind of golf shoes did you buy? Jordan's. <laughs> yes, you did buy Jordan golf shoes. That's <laughs> They're correct. They're sick. So... <laughs> A little bit of a curveball there. We didn't go Nike. We didn't go Adidas. We didn't go Puma, Under Armour. No, nope, Jordan. The old school golf shoes. No Callaways. We went Jordan. Jordan. 
Okay, that's... White with a cement toe and heel. Yeah, and... as the young kids say, you will have the drip on the course. Yeah, yeah. You might not find a fairway all day, but you will be the best looking guy out there. Yeah, so look good, feel good, play good. That's what uh, my MO is now. Okay, I mean, I love that. So I'm all in. That gives us an excuse to play golf soon. So, But now that we watch the Jordan doc, we both also might buy actual Jordans. Yeah, I've had a bunch. We talked about that last pod. And now that you are looking at buying a pair of Jordans, I consequently am also looking at buying a pair of Jordans. Yeah. So we'll see if that happens. Hopefully it doesn't because I even post-quarantine, I will not wear them out. So I don't really need them. But who knows? Time will tell in quarantine. I'm going to put the odds at 70-30 I buy them. Yeah, I'm probably at like 85, 15. Yeah, I think you're locked in. I mean, I told myself that last week with the Air Max, or Air Max 90s, and what could happen, so who knows. But Yeah, but you pivoted and bought Jordan golf shoes instead. That's true, that's true. Um, any other updates? No, I bought a pair of running shoes, but that's not very exciting. Like, they're just the new model of the Nike running shoes that I currently use. So yeah. We might go golfing next week. Fingers crossed we can find a fucking tea time. That's next to impossible out here based on states that have golf open versus states that don't. So that sucks. After that, big news coming across. We have two things. We'll touch on a sports update quick. Read today that training camp two for the MLB is going to be starting in June. July 1 will be the MLB opening day in home stadiums with no fans. So that's exciting. As we just talked about in Science Talk. I predicted that. Did you? I think so. I'll give it to you. I won't <laughs> check the tape. I'm good Good on Ryan. For if I didn't, right. uh, just send us berate messages saying, Ryan, you're an idiot. I'm going to give it to you, though, on the podcast. You predicted that. That's strong. But as Nikki Knowledge dropped on us in the Science Talk segment, I think there's going to be the domino effect. So now that the MLB gets traction and once they iron out this plan, I think NHL, NBA have the potential to come back. And that's just an exciting time for all of us. We go from no sports to three sports, watching multiple games every night. That will make this quarantine much more bearable for everyone. Even if we cannot go out, we have the potential to at least do something and interact with live sports on social media with everyone. So it's a very exciting yeah. prospect. And if you're saying, Tyler, I can't wait till June, July, guess what? We can watch Korean baseball now. We can. ESPN has agreed to deal with Korean baseball that they're going to show six games a week at 1 a.m. But time, time is a, it's a vacuum in quarantine. 1 a.m., 1 p.m., 7 p.m., doesn't matter. Who knows? Baseball is baseball. We can bet on it, and we can watch it. You know what else I saw? Apparently, they're at their all-star break, they have a bunting contest. They set up targets in like the infield, and they... You have to like get points for that. That sounds King's awesome. a small King's a small ball right there. That's yeah. Ichiro made a living doing that. So that's <laughs> impressive stuff. But I don't know if we'll be able to catch their all star break, but hopefully. I mean, I think we're gonna have to watch it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Okay. So that that's our quick sports update to round this out. And then finally, we have Nick Cage has agreed to play Joe Exotic in an upcoming Tiger King movie. Docu-series, whatever you want to call it. That's going to be sick. Yeah, I cannot wait until Nicolas Cage is out there playing Joe Exotic. <laughs> Talk about what We thought he was good in National Treasure. Wait until you see this guy as Joe yeah. Exotic. He's going to steal Carol Baskins. 
Sorry, I, that, that correlation of independence. Oh my god, I cannot wait until we see what goes on with this. It's going to be absolute chaos. I could not be more excited. This to is watch. his first like series, TV series like that though, so it'll be interesting. Is it a TV series? It's a pre-scripted series. I think I forget the technical term for it, but I don't care what it is. I want to watch. I'm in. Yeah, it, no, whatever exactly. it is, I'm cage, in on it. Tiger King. Yeah, okay. That's going to be electric. So. Very excited for that, that we've had some good news. Real good couple days of news here in quarantine for us in terms of things to watch, things to do, helping end this quarantine. So that's been big for us. Yes. But with that, I think the last update we have is we have a new graphic. We do. We got a logo. It looks good. We've had a logo, but we got a better one. Yeah, the previous logo we had was just Ryan making it on his laptop. Now we got a professional to make us the logo. So that was... Very, very exciting for us. So shout out to Shelby for that. Yeah, Shelby. Follow her on Instagram. Or yeah, Instagram at she she scribbles. Just we, like it sounds. Can we get a, a spelling? S H E S H E S C R I B B L E S. I think the I fans, that at, right. fans at home appreciate that. I really hope you didn't fuck that up. <laughs> we'll but, put it in the description. So yeah, thank you, Shelby. You made Shout out. the two of us look half decent, so if she can do that, she can pretty much make any of you guys look fantastic. Yeah, hit so, her up if you guys want a family photo, um, done into a drawing, whatever. Pretty much anything. She's very good at taking any sort of picture you have, overlaying multiple photos, working photos together, cropping specific images of people from various photos into one photo. So she really has a whole host of talents and we appreciate Shelby helping us out with the new graphics. So please hit her up, let her know that you appreciate our graphic and making us not look nearly as stupid as we previously did. Um, so yeah, hit her up. And if you guys have any needs, I'm sure she'll be more than happy to help you guys out. And then with that, Ryan, is there anything else or should we wrap this thing up? I think that's it for now. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening to what are we calling this? Season one, episode two yes. of the Box Pod. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram. DM us your questions. DM us science talk questions. DM us your takes. And look out for the next episode. Our handle is at the period box period pod, pod period. At first, I thought I said the, the pod box, but no, it's the box pod. T H E period. B-O-X period P-O-D. Done. That's, That's it. it. So the box pod on, on IG. Go on yeah. Go on IG. Look that up. Link in bio. We'll show you everywhere. You can follow us, listen to us. So just click that subscribe. Smash the subscribe button and also check out our Instagram story on May 5th, Cinco de Mayo. We have some very exciting news coming from Nikki Knowledge that we will be sharing for all of you guys. I'm sure you'll love the Science Talk segment, so support the boy as well, and check that out. Thanks, guys. Peace. Adios. Go Birds.